Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Lake Titicaca? No, this is the range. Are you threatening me? It's high noon for Friday, October 22nd, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 275th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You made everything free. Free vaccines, free health care, free college, free rent, free money. But you kind of forgot about the whole freedom thing. Because no matter how many times the democratic socialists Make the argument that you need all that free stuff to have freedom or to enjoy freedom. That is just simply not so. In fact, it makes freedom more difficult to attain because once you hand over the governance of your entire life as an individual to the government, you find your freedom disappears as well. And you might be thinking, well, wait a second, 
That's not what AOC told me. That's not what Bernie Sanders said. Uh, Okay. Yeah, of course they didn't say that. It's a lot harder to sell communism when you tell people what it's actually like. Today's politicians are basically just used car salesmen who are selling only lemons to only suckers. And once they get enough power, they stop lying about how bad the car is. And they tell you, you just have to buy it. Here's the fake president. The two things that concern me, one are those who just try to make this a political issue. Freedom. I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID. No, I mean, come on. Freedom. Totally. Come on, man. Freedom. Who cares about that? Freedom is just an abstract concept that people appeal to when they don't want to follow the rules. I shouldn't have to follow that rule because I have freedom. And thank goodness that there are enough rock dumb communists in our culture to support the myth that people actually voted for that. Otherwise, we might live in a society where people have the right to decide not to follow the rules when the rules are capricious and make no sense and aren't backed up by anything and aren't supported by any legitimate power, which, of course, in a free society is derived from the people. And hey, Kami, if you're starting to get the sense that your freedom is finally being taken away, if the music has stopped and you are finding yourself without a chair for the first time, maybe it's time to understand what your ideology has wrought. That's it right there. Joe Biden is making fun of the concept of freedom. If you're sick of that, You need to leave the stupid and evil communist ideas like that behind and migrate back to America, where all of us will gladly welcome you with open arms so long as you have made amends with all those people you have shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. We understand you were brainwashed. You were a little confused. You were going along with the crowd. We get it. It's not good. But we get it. So, you know, make your amends. Do something productive to rejoin the American project of liberty and self-governance. And just migrate on back to America. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Friday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. Now. Let's talk about freedom and how it is rapidly disappearing in this communist state. You see, the thing is, the people who are now pretending to govern the country legitimately do not care about your freedom at all. And it's time to understand that I am not overstating it. Okay, they imagine that freedom is just this abstract concept that applies only to a society as a whole, 
They personally are allowed to buy the things they want. They're allowed to go the places they want. And that's basically the extent to which they value freedom because the rest of the decisions they make in life are in some way guided or coerced by culture. We're talking about people in the party of false decorum. Their decisions are made to impress the people they wish to impress so that they can climb higher on the ladder of social status. They look at everything in the aggregate. So the freedom to not take the vaccine is not actually a matter of freedom at all. What you're saying to these people is that you don't want to be a part of their culture because in their culture, everybody follows the rules that are made by our betters, the expert class, the managerial class, the universities, the science, and of course, the government that has ultimate power and authority, and they would never steer you wrong. They only give you good advice. So if you're not taking it, that's because you think you're better than everybody else. You don't think you have to follow the rules. Yes, it turns out the vaccine is actually dangerous enough to have caused hundreds of thousands of vaccine injuries and at least tens of thousands of deaths. It's caused heart conditions and paralysis and Bell's palsy. But that's just the price we pay for making sure that everybody is safe. And by safe, we mean that everybody in society follows the rules so that no one else ever has to feel like the perfectly planned system will ever be thrown out of balance. People like Joe Biden do not believe that Americans have sincere concerns about the control that the government is exerting over them. And of course, it's not just the vaccines. The government has been mandating our behavior in all sorts of ways for the last 18 months, particularly if you live in a blue state. But the types of communists we're talking about at this point who Raheem Kassam described the other day as he, he calls them now the scourge. They're basically like 25 to 45 year old uh, liberal white college educated people. They are the ones who are messing everything up. And he's got a point. The cultural dominance is there. The dominance within the corporate world is there. And these are the people that are pushing all of the absolute worst policies imaginable. These are also the only people in the country who are still supporting the fake president by and large. And when I discuss these things, you know, part of the reason I say the things I say is because I think about how I may have viewed this stuff years ago when I was captured by that mindset. You think that the technocracy is a benefit to the world, that it is a next step in human evolution. Not necessarily, I'm not going down the, the road of the transhumanism stuff, but you just think that uh, the guidance from, from science and from technology is accurate, that we really do have the best people working to solve very difficult problems and that they are employing the best possible tools 
to solve these problems. The belief is that advancement will always continue. And with that advancement, we get better guidance. And so we, as intelligent people who want the best for ourselves and we believe everyone else, We think we have to follow this guidance because it will put us in the best position to take advantage of the new world as it comes into being constantly and that this process will repeat ad infinitum. Our perception as college graduates of people who are not college graduates or don't align politically with those points of view is that these people simply don't understand these high concepts that we have marginally informed ourselves about, right? We're talking about the sorts of people who watch a TED talk and then talk about it nonstop for the next three weeks to everyone who will listen. But what they don't do is actually go in and research anything that the the speaker at TED actually said to find out whether or not it's true. And they don't measure those claims against some principled morality to find out whether or not, even if what they said was true, if where they think we should be headed is a good place to be. And not only if it's going to make things better marginally in some way, but if the process to get there is actually moral, the assumption then becomes people who disagree with us are simply not thinking or they don't have the information. And that's what you believe on that side. They are so encouraged to believe that, that they don't even embrace the possibility that there might be a legitimate counterpoint. And ironically, they're totally aware of this mindset because they think that the people on our side have not opened ourselves to their ideas. The truth is their ideas are unavoidable. If you take in culture in any way, you will receive their ideas. And I don't mean like if you are a regular television viewer, but that is the way to make sure you get the fullness of their ideology at all times. Likewise with legacy social media. But the truth is going to the grocery store or riding a subway You'll get their advertising. You will get their ideology. You will see the rules posted on the door to the grocery store. You must wear masks. Walk in without a mask. Nobody inside is like, you must, unless you're still in California or New Jersey or Washington, some truly commie state. New York has now decided that they're going to ban propane tanks outside so that restaurants cannot have outdoor dining as they were allowed to last year. So now the only people who can go to restaurants, and this, of course, is why they're doing it. The only people who can go to restaurants are the vaxies who are happy to sit inside. If you are unvaxed, you're not allowed inside, and now you're not allowed to eat outside. So basically, no more restaurants for you. So their culture, the mainstream culture, is unavoidable. Unless you live in a shack in the woods, you're going to get some of it. But that doesn't work the other way at all. Like we get a firsthand experience of of their cultural ideology. They get 
no experience of ours, certainly no firsthand experience. And the truth is that the secondhand experience is a complete distortion of what the firsthand experience would be. They would actually understand that people are sincere in their beliefs if they had that firsthand experience, but instead they read about what we think through their own cultural ideology. It's already filtered by the writers at the Atlantic or the Washington Post or the New York Times. It's filtered by the censors at Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. It's filtered by the television media. They only bring on certain people to represent certain points of view. And it's filtered by the educational system. There is a reason that there is still a segment of this population that goes around thinking and saying that election fraud is the big lie. I just read that in another article today from Axios, actually. They had an article up this morning talking about how Trump was almost assuredly the 2024 GOP nominee. And in the article, they wrote, Trump has been endorsing loyalists who back his fraud claims in Secretary of State races around the country, a sign he's thinking about political levers and remains obsessed with the big lie. And this is the left's prestige journalism. This is the mouthpiece of the Uniparty, one of their best, most effective mouthpieces. This is the Axios is the sort of publication that makes a certain type of person feel educated. You can actually look at an Axios article and realize that it is for stupid people immediately. Their articles are basically one or two sentence segments, all with their own little subheading, like why it matters. Go deeper. What we're watching, what we're hearing. Oh, that's so great. I need your opinion, Axios. Let me know what you're watching and hearing. But people really believe this. People think this is good journalism. This is where they get their information. And so, of course, they know absolutely nothing. Because anything having to do with what we actually think must be distorted. You know, it's funny. Sam Harris, I've talked about him many times before, used to be an intellectual hero of mine. Something he spoke a lot about in the last, I don't know, three or four years that I was listening to him. I stopped listening to him, obviously, I don't know, mid last year. He would talk often about steel manning and opposing argument, giving the best possible version of what the other side was saying and then addressing that rather than addressing a caricature of what the other side was saying, a cartoonish clownish version, the worst possible version of what they were saying. He wants to give them the best case and then argue against that. He thinks that's the right way of arguing. And I agree. That's great. Why doesn't he do it? Why do we have to pretend, for instance, that Q is mostly about uh, satanic child eaters when it's not about that at all? This is what the scourge as defined by Raheem Kassam. This is what they all believe because they don't look at it themselves. The media gives them the same story over and over and over again. The worst possible version 
of the thing they don't know. And that is all they need. They think they fully understand the other side because instead of just one article telling them that, they've read 20 articles that all tell them the exact same thing. And if they get one article from the other side that also says the same thing, well, then it's just cut and dry. They know exactly what they're talking about. Even Fox News agrees. Even Republicans agree. That's why that argument is so effective for them, because it allows them to turn their brain off. They don't have to learn anything else. And they go on. So people that only get the worst version of what the other side actually thinks they don't believe that most people would ever possibly believe that stuff if they were exposed to the right ideas. They don't understand that everyone, everyone, everywhere is already exposed to their ideas. It is impossible to not know what the Democrat Communist Party thinks. It is blasted at us. From all directions. That's how you run a propaganda campaign. And that's exactly what we've been subject to. We've been subject to an all encompassing psychological operation for decades. That's why it was so effective and why it's been so hard to unwind. But we know what they think. And that simply is not a two way street. And Joe Biden said it very clearly, which is remarkable for him. But he said quite clearly that he thinks the argument for freedom is a joke. It's not to be taken seriously. And beyond that, the other side doesn't even actually think that they're just using it so that they don't have to follow the rules. But that Little appearance from Joe Biden in what was a very, very creepy town hall. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But that wasn't even the worst example of that this week. Jack Posobiec was leaked some audio from a White House source discussing religious exemptions from the vaccine. Here it is. Cases. Society is representing a bunch of doctors and nurses who claim that they would sin gravely if they acted in cooperation with the evil of abortion. How would they be doing so? The claim is that all three of the current vaccines either have fetal cells that were that were obtained by abortions in the vaccine itself, or in the case of Pfizer and Moderna, that those vaccines were tested using fetal cells that had been aborted. And even the connection to the previous testing makes them cooperative with evil in a way that their religion prohibits. I don't want to say anything too categorical, but I believe that when this claim will be very difficult for agencies to successfully claim that that's either insincere or non-religious, even if it is, even if we know that many of those claims are not sincere or are sincere but not religious. This is the most common claim you're going to confront, probably. And it's likely that you will have to take as a given the employee's claim. Not always, right? One response that some hospitals have started to give is, well, do you know that Tylenol and Tums and Preparation H 
Those were all tested using aborted fetal cell lines too. And I expect that employees will then say, well, I didn't know that, but now that you tell me that, I'll stop using those products as well. And then, then we will turn to the, what, what does the government have to do once the employee makes that show? And here, basically, there is a compelling interest, obviously, in keeping our workforce and the public with which we interact safe from COVID. So it's pretty clear that that DOJ official believes that many or most of the people who might claim religious exemption to getting the forced experimental gene therapy, people who just simply don't want to become part of the medical experiment, many of them would just be using that religious exemption to get out of it, even though they're not religious. And, you know, there might be some people that that genuinely describes there are people on our side for instance who think about doing things like using fake vaccine cards right they get a vaccine id that says they've taken their shot and they use that whenever they need to to travel or to work or whatever else in fact i've heard that's kind of a big thing in hollywood you know the productions are supposed to have everybody vaxxed but there's a lot of actors in hollywood that don't want to do it well they can either stand up for what they believe and put their career on the line, which obviously none of them have done more or less. I mean, really, how many has it been? Gina Carano and who? No one really A-list. I mean, there's some athletes and you got Nicki Minaj and some rappers and some country musicians. There are people in the entertainment industry who are standing up for themselves. But by and large, There are people with sincere beliefs about this stuff who will not speak up about it. Instead, they'll get the fake vaccine card. And so they'll play along with that system, pretending that they're doing something else. It's kind of the same idea, right? Like you don't want to get the vaccine. You know, the religious exemption might work. So you claim to be religious and have a sincere belief that injecting yourself with this vaccine would be against your religious beliefs. There might be some people like that. The problem is this DOJ official doesn't really believe that anyone is sincere because he doesn't believe that it's possible for them to believe something like that so sincerely. I mean, it's very likely that he is an atheist or agnostic. And as someone who spent his adult life as an atheist, I can tell you That in my experience, up until a year and a half ago or so, the number of sincere Christians with deeply held beliefs about their Christianity that I had been exposed to was relatively low, especially in comparison to the number of people who self-identified as Christian, but did not actually believe in anything, right? And you can know these people. You can listen to the content of their beliefs. And I hope that I'm not speaking out of turn here. I imagine that the Christians in the audience who do have sincere, deeply held, deeply felt beliefs recognize that there are also people who claim to be Christians who don't. I mean, I don't think anyone would deny that. My initial thought was always that I thought there was a lot of truth in what the philosopher Daniel Dennett called uh, belief in belief. 
It's the idea, not that you actually believe in God, but you know that society believes it's good for you to believe in God. So you believe in expressing a belief in God. And you can kind of derive from a person's words and behavior that they don't truly believe in God or don't truly uh, follow the Bible or the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because your behaviors don't reflect a sincere belief. And the really funny thing is that the next step is if they encounter someone who really does have a sincere, heartfelt belief in the truth of the word of God, for instance, or a genuine opposition to the vaccine, they'll allow that person to express what they feel, and then they will immediately assume that that person represents an absolutely tiny minority. And that, yes, maybe some people like that exist, but on the whole, that's not a real thing. They don't believe that people have legitimate opposition to the vaccine. And as, as I was mentioning yesterday, you know, again, this is a factor of censorship. They don't see opposition to the vaccine being treated legitimately in any of their culture. They don't consume any information that suggests there's legitimate reasons not to want to join the medical experiment. So they assume that all these people are lying just because they don't want to do it. That's why they're trying to tell people, oh, you're scared of the vaccine. You're scared of it. Yeah, man. I definitely am scared of someone injecting poison into my body. I'm scared of that. What a big pussy I am. And as you heard in that video, this extends to abortion. They believe that the argument for abortion is so overwhelming that they don't really have to understand what the other side actually thinks or why abortion would bother them. They think it's only about beliefs around conception and when the soul might arise. They don't understand the other part of that, which is that if the byproducts of abortion are being used in a commercial venture, like the testing and sale of experimental gene therapies, then that creates a market for abortion byproducts, which creates a market for abortions, which creates a market for unwanted pregnancies. And that chain of understanding actually has a whole lot of uh, knock-on consequences that actually affect how societies operate, and the way we discuss the morality of these issues. And once again, we can't have the moral conversation because the counterpoint is censored. But the truth is, even having to discuss religious exemptions and medical exemptions is a step too far. We should not be having to discuss any of it because there should be no mandates especially not for an experimental gene therapy. And freedom actually does matter here because 
This is not one very effective vaccine that saves the world from a very deadly virus. That's not what this is. If it was that, you wouldn't have the hesitancy. People would accept a vaccine if they thought the disease could actually kill them. But the disease has a 99.9% recovery rate for people who get it. Almost everyone who dies with the coronavirus, not even from the coronavirus, but with the coronavirus, is a senior citizen. The majority are already above the average life expectancy, and they have multiple comorbidities. The average is four. So there's actually great reason to not want to participate in a medical experiment for a disease that almost definitely cannot kill most of the people in the population. And for people who make a different risk calculation and want to join the medical experiment, well, good for them. They have that right. I'm not trying to make it so that they can't have the vaccine, although they shouldn't take it. I'm happy to make that argument to them. But they're not even given the opportunity for informed consent because they're not given the information and they're not offered a choice. And it's about to get much worse, at least if the science and the public health community have their way. This is CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, right now, we don't have booster eligibility for all people um, currently. So we are going to, we, we have not yet changed the definition of fully vaccinated. Um, we will continue to look at this. We may need to update our definition of fully vaccinated in the future. But right now, what I would say is if you're eligible for a booster, go ahead and get your booster and we will continue to follow. So there you go. They haven't changed the definition for fully vaccinated yet. Soon, fully vaccinated will mean that you were fully vaccinated before, then became unvaccinated, and now you've taken the booster shot. So then you're fully vaccinated once you get the booster. If you don't get the booster, then you're not fully vaccinated and you can't enjoy the privileges and the freedom of the fully vaccinated. And check out this little bit of science. Some people may have a preference for the vaccine type that they originally received because they did very well with their initial series. For all three vaccines, this is perfectly fine. And now with 10 months of vaccine experience, some may have an express preference for one booster type over another. FDA's authorizations and CDC's recommendations now allow for this type of mix and match. You got that? So the vaccine, which isn't a vaccine that you can take under an emergency use authorization. If you had a good experience with the first one, meaning you're not dead yet, or you haven't gotten really ill or vaccine injured, then you may really like your vaccine. And if you like your vaccine, you can keep it. <laughs> They're telling you, go ahead. Yeah. Take it again. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll make the recommendations so that you can take it again. You take whatever you want. You know, it's ultimately your choice anyway, because we're not telling you to do it and we have no liability. I mean, we will mandate it, but we can't mandate it. So the thing is, if you believe that we did mandate it and then you went and got it, 
you're still on your own. It's still just your choice. You know, you have two choices. You don't have to get it. We didn't actually force you to get it. We only took your job away because you didn't get it. So that's not really forcing. It was still your choice. And because it's your choice, it's your liability. But listen, if you didn't have a great experience with that vaccine and you still want to be considered a fully vaccinated person so that you can enjoy all the freedoms that the fully vaccinated can enjoy, well, then you're free to mix and match. And we've allowed the recommendations for that too, which means that you can choose to get a different kind of vaccine. It's not our choice and we're not going to force you to do it. I mean, we are going to force you to get the booster or we're going to take away your freedom. But like I said, free to choose. And when you choose to mix and match your vaccines, which we haven't tested, don't worry, we haven't tested it at all, but we are at least somewhat confident that it'll probably be okay. And if it's not, don't worry, we won't tell you. So you won't have to be scared of it because for us to tell you that we injected you with this experimental gene therapy and it's actually increasing your chances of dying from really anything, then we would be fear-mongering. We would be spreading vaccine disinformation, and we don't want to do that. So what we're doing instead is not spreading any information at all. We're leaving it all up to you. You decide what brand of vaccine you want, and then you can take it. The responsibility for that choice is all on you. We will not print anything about the vaccine in the insert of your vaccine. We're not going to tell you anything about it. It's going to be a surprise, really. You're just choosing a brand. You just feel like identifying with a brand. You want the good old traditional Johnson and Johnson, or do you want that new technology? Are you a Tesla driver? If you're a Tesla driver, you're probably going to want the Pfizer or the Moderna. Either one is fine. I mean, the Pfizer's better according to ads, but they're both okay. Probably. I mean, yeah, they, they could kill you if you're the right type of person, but they're probably not going to, at least statistically, they're not going to. And you, as part of the aggregate, should be happy with the statistics. It doesn't really matter if it affects you personally. You're going to make the statistics look worse, and that's why we're not going to tell you or tell anybody if anything ha bad happens to you. We'll just call it COVID, or we'll call it cancer, or we'll call it, you know, you got hit over the head. <laughs> Who cares? You're dead. You're not going to care how we classify you. Do what you want. The choice is all yours. But wait, there's more. We'll not boost our way out of this pandemic. And no vaccine, even a boosted vaccine, provides 100% protection. So even after you boost, it remains important for us to remain smart about our prevention strategies. Now, I hope you enjoyed the music there. It was somebody's TikTok video. It was actually harder to find that original video than you might imagine. But she just told you that even once you get a booster shot, you're still not going to be 100% protected. If it is anything like what we have just experienced with the first round of the medical experiment, you will eventually find that you're not at all protected. And in fact, you're more vulnerable. This is from Alex Berenson on his Substack Unreported Truths. 
urgent COVID vaccines will keep you from acquiring full immunity, even if you are infected and recover. Don't take it from me. I don't even get to tweet anymore. Take it from a little place I call the British government, which admitted today in its newest vaccine surveillance report that N antibody levels appear to be lower in people who acquire infection following two doses of vaccination. You got that? So the vaccine actually makes your immune system less effective. What's this mean? Several things, all bad. We know the vaccines do not stop infection or transmission of the virus. In fact, the report shows elsewhere that vaccinated adults are now being infected at a much higher rate than the unvaccinated. Got that? More vaccinated people are getting COVID than unvaccinated people. What the British are saying is they are now finding the vaccine interferes with your body's innate ability after infection to produce antibodies against not just the spike protein, but other pieces of the virus. Specifically, vaccinated people don't seem to be producing antibodies to the nucleocapsid protein, the shell of the virus, which are a crucial part of the response in unvaccinated people. This means vaccinated people will be far more vulnerable to mutations in the spike protein even after they have been infected and recovered once or more than once, probably. It also means the virus is likely to select for mutations that go in exactly that direction because those will essentially give it an enormous vulnerable population to infect. And it probably is still more evidence the vaccines may interfere with the development of robust long-term immunity post-infection. Aside from that, everything is fine. And Berenson lists his source at the bottom, which is from the gov.uk website. But hey, go ahead. Take another shot. Now, switching subjects completely without a segue at all, I want to point out two really amazing articles by absolute Romneys, just straight up rhinos who are happy to expose themselves at every opportunity. And one of them is an editorial in the New York Post by J.D. Vance and Blake Masters. Now, J.D. Vance is a longtime cuck and Trump hater who has insulted Trump supporters. And yes, he's apologized since then. He's so much better now, but he still believes that Election fraud is the big lie. You might think otherwise after reading this article, and you're welcome to think that. I am going to believe that he is trying to hedge his earlier bet, which was that the rhinos would win and that he could pretend that Joe Biden actually won and seem like the very serious, very smart guy in the room that he imagines himself to be. No one is a bigger member of the party of false decorum than J.D. Vance. It is upsetting to see that Blake Masters has gone down this road as well because he seemed like a serious person who could do good things potentially as the senator from Arizona. I am not convinced of that any longer at all. Senate candidates J.D. Vance and Blake Masters. We must stop Facebook from election meddling. This is from yesterday. You probably remember where you were on November 8th, 2016, and you surely remember what you saw that evening, the American political establishment melting down in real time. 
We saw Wolf Blitzer and John King frantically circling counties where maybe, just maybe, Hillary Clinton could still eke out enough votes to win. We saw sobbing media personalities and producers unable to grasp what had just happened. And we saw the new president-elect, Donald Trump, give an epic victory speech. What we didn't see was the network of Democrat operatives, politicians, nonprofit leaders, and tech billionaires promising themselves behind the scenes never again. Fast forward four years to the 2020 election. The never-ending pandemic, we were told, requires that states change or ignore election laws. Election day became election season as hundreds of millions of blank ballots were mailed out, often to people who didn't request them. Shortly after the media networks declared Biden the winner, journalist Molly Ball published an account in Time magazine boasting about how business and nonprofit leaders conspired to deny Donald Trump another four years. They called it fortifying the election. Big tech played their part. Mere weeks before the election, Google, Twitter and Facebook censored explosive stories about Hunter Biden's business dealings with the Chinese Communist Party. Given the narrow official margins in critical swing states, tech manipulation alone likely changed the outcome of the election. Yet all this pales in comparison to Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg's half billion dollar effort to buy the presidency for Joe Biden. Last week, the New York Post reported that Zuckerberg donated more than $420 million to help administer the election across our country. The official narrative is that this was nonpartisan charity, an urgent and neutral greasing of the wheels of democracy. Now, I want to pause for a second because that was not reported by the New York Post last week. Now, of course, the New York Post did report that last week. But the point is that was reported a year ago, a year ago. This was being reported all throughout the lead up to the election. And then Phil Klein had a two and a half hour long press conference about exactly this, about exactly Mark Zuckerberg's influence into the election, buying election judges, putting the drop boxes everywhere, hiring witnesses to attest to the identity of strangers. And of course, anything that could help increase the number of ballots in Democrat districts. This is not new information that just popped up last week. And J.D. Vance was not out there before discussing how dangerous this actually is. But economist William Doyle has shown that the cash was deployed in extremely partisan ways. Swing states received more Zuckerberg cash than safe states. Democratic districts received more on both an absolute and a per capita basis than other districts. Thanks to Zuckerberg, election officials in Democrat-leaning Green Bay, Wisconsin, saw their funding boosted to $47 per voter, while most rural areas had about $4 per voter. Other large cities in battleground states saw similar disparities. In Milwaukee, election officials gave operatives from the Zuckerberg nonprofits a running scorecard of who had failed to return mail-in ballots, allowing those operatives to focus on increasing nonpartisan voter turnout. In important ways, this election was not run by local officials accountable to the people, but by political activists accountable only to the world's most powerful tech CEO. And again, you can hear how cucked these people are in the way they describe these events. Okay. Economist William Doyle didn't show that the funds were deployed in partisan ways. This has been shown for a very long time. Not new information. Facebook's representatives 
did not merely use the information about who hadn't returned ballots to better focus their voter turnout efforts. They used it to figure out whose ballots they could completely fake. And that's obvious and that's known. But J.D. Vance can't say that because saying that would be a violation of the party of false decorum. It's okay to say that censorship of the Hunter Biden information influenced the election. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say that Mark Zuckerberg spent money to influence the election, but you can't say that anyone cheated. You can't say the election was stolen because telling the truth to these sorts of people is not acceptable. It doesn't benefit their cause. Their cause is gaining political power in a Trump-free, MAGA-free, America-first-free world. If Zuckerberg was simply interested in helping local election boards run a fair process, he would have given as much to non-battleground states as battleground states. If he was interested in neutrality, he would have given as much to Republican-leaning areas as he did to Democrat-leaning areas. But he didn't. Wow, what a powerful observation. And his multi-billion dollar vote-buying effort reflects poorly, not just on Zuckerberg, but the company he runs. What did his fellow executives know? If they were aware of the spending spree, why didn't they try to stop it? Facebook, both the product and the wealth generated for its executives, was leveraged to elect a Democratic president. At a minimum, the company's leaders should be forced to answer for this before a congressional committee. Oh, yes. At a minimum. But what they really mean is also at a maximum. We're going to have a public display of people being angry at them, but it's only going to be half the people. The other half of the people will spend the time defending them from the people who are angry. Gosh, that'll really show them they did wrong. President Trump is right to focus on what happened in 2020. We must ban Zuckerberg and anyone else from privately funding election administration. Partisan groups masquerading as charities cannot control our voting process. Ongoing election audits and state attorneys general should investigate how these Zuckerberg funded groups commandeered our election. Where appropriate, criminal charges must be brought. Hey, now do the secretaries of states and the attorneys general and the election workers and the election judges and the other judges and the sheriffs while you're at it. And let's see how deep the Soros money goes. Or don't you want to talk about that? Because the uniparty system supports people like J.D. Vance. And I'm going to be a little lighter on Blake Masters, but aligning yourself with J.D. Vance is not a wise political move. I'm not sure he'll ever recover from this. A couple of weeks ago on War Room, he was asked specifically, would you support Mitch McConnell as leader of the Senate if you're elected? And he declined to answer the question. Oh, it's too early to say. I'm just going to focus on my election. I'm not too worried about that yet. I want to take one thing at a time. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. All such great political answers. All of them hide the simple truth that his answer is either yes or I'll do whatever is expedient for me at that time. It's not going to be easy. Suggesting that anything went wrong in the 2020 election draws immediate scorn from every institutional power center in our country. The media will label you a conspiracy theorist. Public officials will accuse you of abetting insurrection. Social media giants will censor your speech. But the only way to fight back 
against the people who run things in our country is to tell the truth. And the simple truth is that in 2020, our oligarchs used their power and money to do everything they could to steal an election. Wow, so bold. So bold to write that on the very same day that the cyber ninjas respond to the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors analysis of their audit with massive damning evidence showing that the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors have been complicit in covering up rampant fraud and criminality. So bold to say this now, nearly a full year after the election. Gosh, where did you get such courage, J.D. Vance? But that's not even the most rhino article of the day. This is from Real Clear Politics. The case against a GOP presidential coronation by Alyssa Farah. And Alyssa Farah apparently is a Republican political advisor, the former White House communications director under Donald Trump, former press secretary to Mike Pence and a DOD spokeswoman. Donald Trump has given every indication he is running for president again, short of formally announcing it. And the party is lining up dutifully behind him. While this comes as no surprise, since Trump turned out new voters and is a fundraising machine, he also lost the last election, both in the Electoral College and by roughly 7 million popular votes. So there we go. Alyssa Farah thinks that the election was free and fair, and she believes that Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes. She actually believes this. Or... She's saying she believes it because she's a child-brained Romney who is trying to collect political power for the Uniparty, but just the people with the R next to their name. The GOP didn't line up behind Mitt Romney ahead of 2016 after his 2012 presidential loss or behind McCain in 2012 following his 2008 loss for that matter. There's always been a sense among Republicans that nothing is given. You have to earn it. Losing isn't earning it. While the party may be fractured by internal divisions on the bright side, we actually have a deep bench of credible, experienced potential candidates from across the conservative spectrum to run for president in 2024. Take, for example, South Carolina's Tim Scott, the first African-American Republican senator who has emerged as the face of the party's better angels. His 2021 response to President Biden's joint address to Congress was a reminder of what Republicans are for freedom, opportunity and prosperity for all. Not just what we are against. Oh, it's so inspiring. Senator Scott is often insultingly derided by the left as token, but on the right, he has proven to be a policy and thought leader who is willing to tackle the great issues of our time. Among those are championing opportunity zones to shrink economic disparities in underprivileged communities and taking on police reform. He's a man with faith, firm convictions, and a hopeful spirit that reminds us of better times in America. The GOP also has a deep bench in gubernatorial offices. Ron DeSantis has emerged as a fan favorite of the GOP base with his Trump-like ability to challenge the media and Democrats in power. DeSantis also oversees one of the largest economies in the country, which has flourished, making Florida one of the top relocation destinations for Americans fleeing strict COVID restrictions and economic challenges in blue states. DeSantis has much of the toughness of Trump, but a policy background from his time in the U.S. House of Representatives working with Democrats on bipartisan issues. So inspiring as well. 
Other popular names that have been floated as potential GOP contenders are Heartland governors Kim Reynolds of Iowa and Christy Nome of South Dakota. Then there's former Vice President Mike Pence, who has more governing experience than many of the potential candidates combined, having spent nearly a decade in Congress, rising to the House leadership ranks, then becoming governor of Indiana and going on to serve as Vice President of the United States. Pence will have to overcome a loud but small minority of the GOP who believe myths of the 2020 election being stolen, but otherwise is a is widely popular among Trump supporters who saw him for four years as a champion of the president's policies, though with a softer tone. This is so detached from reality. First off, if you are a Republican advisor who is out there saying that it's a small minority of GOP voters who believe the myth that the election was stolen, you are absolutely clueless. The idea that Mike Pence is widely popular among Trump supporters is insane. Other potential candidates who bring strong foreign policy chops to the table are Nikki Haley and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Haley was widely popular during her tenure at the United Nations and has the experience of being a red state governor. Her record as a fierce opponent of Iran and general toughness against America's adversaries would be a strong juxtaposition to Biden or whoever his successor may be. Yeah, but she's also just a Romney. Pompeo has both diplomatic and national defense credentials to point to. He helped usher through the historic Abraham Accords, one of the most significant breakthroughs toward Middle East peace in decades. Pompeo has been one of the fiercest critics of Biden's botched handling of the withdrawal from Afghanistan and as an army veteran has been a staunch supporter of the military. Then there are the less obvious names that would have an uphill battle in a GOP primary, but would be formidable in a general election. Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland has proven to be an exceptional leader during the COVID pandemic, helping put his state among the top in vaccinations. He's a moderate who can appeal to the voters the GOP needs, including women and senior citizens. He currently has one of the highest approval ratings of any governor in the country. The Democrats will be faced with either running a then 82-year-old Joe Biden or finding a suitable replacement. Vice President Kamala Harris barely broke 1% on her own in the 2020 cycle. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has so shown his inexperience in his handling of the current supply chain crisis. Andrew Cuomo is done and Bernie Sanders will run again, forcing everyone to the far left. The election will be the Republicans to lose. So let's run the best person who can win a general election. This is amazing. This person is either just lying or is the dumbest political advisor that has ever walked the earth. This is incredible. Governor Larry Hogan? Governor Larry Hogan would be a suitable replacement to Donald Trump because he's done so well on convincing the people of Maryland to get vaccinated? He allows Baltimore to exist in his state. Larry Hogan is basically a Democrat. And now I'm wondering if Alyssa Farah is a Democrat, too. She certainly sounds like one. It's also hilarious that she goes around giving all of these different Republicans credit for the good things they have done, even though Donald Trump did all those things. Like, yeah, fine. Mike Pompeo played a part in the Abraham Accords. But Trump did that. And I love Mike Pompeo, but Trump did that. Why isn't the credit going to Trump?
And I would just like to note here, articles like these are why I am so focused on the problem of these rhinos, okay? They are trying to get enough support from the MAGA base to be taken seriously. But you cannot get it twisted. These are exactly the same frauds and tricksters that have been in the Republican Party for a long time. And I don't mean Mike Pompeo or Ron DeSantis in that. But all of these establishment Republicans that she's carrying water for are the problem. They are as much the problem as the Democrats are. And they shouldn't be thought of in any other way. J.D. Vance is not the solution to anything. So as I said before, Joe Biden did a town hall last night with Anderson Cooper on CNN. And the people in the town hall, the town hall was invite only. All right. So it's not an array of average citizens who are asking about the issues they care about. It is a selected group of people who submit their questions. Joe gets his answers. And then the people act like they are really asking sincere questions. And Joe Biden is acting like he's giving spontaneous answers. And even that is way too difficult for him. Benny Johnson did like a supercut of some terrible moments from Biden's town hall. It's obviously not worth watching the entire thing. So I'm going to play this because it's Friday afternoon and it's good for a laugh. I mean, providing professional education, don't pay a cent. Not a single little red cent. Let's go through uh, Los Angeles and uh, and uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? Is it Long Beach? Long Beach. Thank you. You had told uh, us at a town hall, I think it was in July, that the in, this was just near-term inflation. The Wall Street Journal recently talked. And the child who did yeah. a gigantic disadvantage. Mr. President, the, so, the, the question was on the, the on community college. No, no. You know, look, I've been a, I was a senator for 370 years. <laughs> so when a drug deal was going down, she'd pick up the phone and call and say to that police officer with a cell phone, that the drug deal is going down, knowing that she would never be fingered, knowing that she would never be the one told it happened. And so crime began to drop. They had to know who the local liquor store. They had to know and walk in and shake hands with the local minister. They had to know that's. Thank goodness that we have somebody presidential back in office. Joe Biden basically shut down for parts of that town hall. It's incredible to watch. There's a moment where he looks like he's doing an impression of Cornholio from Beavis and Butthead, which is what I was referencing at the beginning. He's just like he's got his uh, arms at a 90 degree angle, bald fists, and he just stands there for like 20 seconds listening to Anderson Cooper ask him a question with his fists just like that. It's the most unsettling and strange thing. And then there's another a part of the uh, the town hall where he has his arms straight down at his sides and he's kind of bent forward and just looking down at the floor and he holds that position for a while too. It is so unnerving to think that this guy might have some sort of real power in the country. And I'm not sure that he does, but even to pretend that he does is scary. 
And so, of course, after a display like that, you know that his spokescommie, Jen Psaki, is going to have a tough time. Why did President Biden say he has been to the border? Well, Peter, uh, as you may have seen, there's been uh, reporting that he uh, did drive through the border when he was on the campaign trail in 2008. And he is certainly familiar with the fact, and it stuck with him, with the fact that uh, in El Paso, uh, the border goes right through the center of town. But what the most important thing uh, everyone should know and understand is that the president has worked on these issues throughout his entire career and is well-versed in every aspect of our immigration system, including the border. That includes when he was vice president and he went to Mexico and Central America 10 times to address border issues and talk about what we can do to reduce the number of migrants who are coming to the border. He worked in a bipartisan manner with senators like Ted Kennedy, Harry Reid, John McCain, and others to push for comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, He does not need a visit to the border to know what a mess was left by the last administration. That's his view. Does that count as a visit? He said, I've been there before. You're saying he drove by for a few minutes. Does that count? What do you, What is the root cause? Where are people coming from who are coming to the border, Peter? The president said that I'm he asking has you, been I'm to asking the you a question because I think people should understand the context. No, you're where, do people, where do people... Where do people... I'm asking you if that Okay, counts. I'll answer it for you. People come from Central America and Mexico to go to the border. The president has been to those countries 10 times to talk about border issues. There is a focus right now on a photo op. The president does not believe a photo op is the same as solutions. But he said that may be a difference he has with but, Republicans. But that's not what he said either. He said, I guess I should go down. So does he think that he needs a photo op? Is that what he's saying? He, is that he doesn't. He's saying? And that's a fundamental disagreement he has. I would say the former president went to the border at least once, maybe more. You may know the numbers. How did that immigration policy result, Peter? That immigration policy resulted in separating kids from their parents, building a border wall that's feckless and that costs billions of dollars for taxpayers, the president fundamentally disagrees has, on how we need to approach the immigration anything issue. anything changed at the border between 2008 when he drove by and 2021? Aside from the fact that migrants are still coming to the border through the course of Democratic and Republican presidents and the, uh, the, immig- the need to reform the immigration system is even farther long overdue, no. But we need to work with Democrats and Republicans to get that done. I think we're going to have to keep checking. Do you really think all of this doesn't have an expiration date? We are coming to that expiration date real soon. Joe Biden is falling apart in full view of everyone. And there is no conceivable way that he can ever possibly recover. His polling numbers are going in one direction. His mental capacity is negligible, and everyone can see it. The media, the censorship, the cultural ideology, no one can hide what this is anymore. And tomorrow is Let's Go Brandon Day. So I assume that things on Monday will be even worse for Joe Biden than they are right now. But hopefully for all of us, things are much better. Have a good weekend, everybody. I will be putting up part one of a conversation with Patel Patriot on devolution and the Transition Integrity Project tomorrow. It's going to be, I think it's like 35, 40 minutes long. 
he had to attend to some family matters while we were recording. So we hit pause on that. He's going to be speaking at the Patriot Double Down this weekend. So I'll get that up on the info stream at some point this weekend once it's available. Everybody check that out. And otherwise, have a great weekend. I'll be back Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. 
and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!